You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Uh, This morning, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. As you're turning there, I have a guest that I want to speak to you just for a couple moments. You know, from time to time, you know, when when things come up, uh, you know, Satan has done an incredible job of convincing the church and Christians, and especially young people, that certain things are political and certain things are spiritual. I, I just want to remind you, I've preached on this so many times, God created government. It's all spiritual. It all has spiritual implications. Every part of it has spiritual implications. And so we can't separate and say, well, the church can't speak about this or support this or do this or do that. Uh, guys, that God is interested in leadership. Leadership sets the tone spiritually and sets the culture. And because the church has bought into this political, that's political, don't say this, don't say that, that hurts people's feelings, that does this, that does that. They, we, we vacated, we left a gap in our culture that was never there before in the church for about 40, 50 years. And now we have the culture that we have. Now we have the spiritual environment that we have, which is not good. But you all know that at Church on the Move, we're going to speak up and speak out. We're going to talk about things that are deeply spiritual, leadership in a state, leadership in government, justice. All those things are deeply spiritual. And I'm going to encourage you to vote. You might not vote for who I'm voting for, but, but I, I'm going to present to you people like, like uh, Lieutenant Mason for Magistrate Judge and others that I know are Christians. And uh, I'm going to present to you someone running for governor. How many of you know we need a change? We need a change in Santa Fe. And so, because we know how spiritual that is. We know the, re- the results of the spiritual activity there, what's happening throughout our whole state, and we need a change. And so when I vet, uh, I've vetted several people that have come through town, say, hey, we want to talk to you, Pastor Troy, this person and that person, I've vetted them. And my questions are not, uh, you know, are you Republican, Democrat? My question is, do you believe in abortion? My question is, do you serve in your church? When did you confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life? Do you tithe? Do you serve? Do you give? Do you, do you serve others? What, where's your heart at? What do you do? Those are all my questions. Because I want someone who's spirit-filled and in love with Jesus to be the governor of the state of New Mexico. That would be awesome. Be the first time ever. And so I talked to Rebecca some time ago. I'm always skeptical uh, of people that come through. I kind of try to treat it a little with a lot of skepticism and uh, apologize for that, Rebecca. But she wasn't afraid of those questions and had great answers. And so that's who I'm supporting uh, for the, the primary run. And hopefully she'll win the primary and be running for governor of our state. So I want to introduce to you someone who I'm supporting who is a fellow believer. She's, if anything, she is your sister in Christ. And so I want to introduce to you Rebecca Dow. Rebecca, come on out here. Thank you, Pastor. 
we were, he was talking about TikTok. He's like, I don't get this TikTok stuff. And so we could, there, my, my campaign is telling me I need to start doing TikTok so we could break it in with like one of those fitness challenges where you do like the, the mountain climber and the t shoulder tap. Never seen them, but I it's, do it, those you know, It takes two people though. I'll That's what it. I've mountain seen. Okay, but anyway, so yeah, he kind of glazed over. But anyways, thank you guys so much for having me today. I am loving the worship, loving the word. Uh, it feels like home. And this morning, I'm lucky enough to have my husband with me. We've been married 30 years this year. He said he was going to hang out with me because he's forgetting what I look like. But anyway, so uh, he, the pastor asked me to share a little bit about my testimony. And so that starts with my parents. My dad was an oil field worker, and he was uh, uh, not serving God in any way, shape, or form. He was uh, out he was roping on the weekends, spending all of his money. My mom would say, you know, he didn't even, he didn't even wash his clothes. He threw them away and he bought new clothes when he was you know, from the Western Wear store. And meanwhile, we were struggling to survive. And my mom was dealing with suicidal thoughts. I saw substance use and abuse. And my, my dad walked into a church in Wyoming. That's where he was in the oil field and, and accepted Jesus as his savior. And God's word's true because I saw a radical transformation in my parents. My dad became a pastor. We moved to Truth or Consequences when I was 10, and that's how we, I came to New Mexico. I was at Or Roberts University when I met my husband, and we were married just two years. We made some basic principles when we got married, uh, how we would define success. And it was not how much money we made, but it was um, if we had enough, that God was a God of abundance, and that he would give us enough, and we would keep our debt low so we could go where he called us to go and do what he called us to do. And so we were only married a couple years when he called us to Truth or Consequences back to my hometown to create faith-based nonprofits, serving vulnerable populations, helping them know that they're created by a God who loves them and has a plan and purpose for their lives and how they reach that. So a principle we have in our family and something that drives us is that we are his workmanship. I, I, that sunrise was beautiful this morning. And the scripture that came to my mind was, but we're his workmanship. And he's Amen. called us to offer up our lives a living sacrifice, and it's a reasonable request. So that's brought us to Truth or Consequences, 20 years there, serving in our community. We have two children. They're grown. They're married. They also went to Oral Roberts University, met their spouses through that, and um, they serve in ministry as well. And so we're just, we're blessed, you know, and, and our children and our children's children because my parents made a decision to serve Christ. And it was last year during the 30-day session uh, when we were listening to the bill on abortion up to birth, and women who are biologically women who are made to create life. Uh, and I'm going to own that title because I've birthed two of them. That's not, a, <laughs> that's, not, that's not an easy thing to do. So no one's taking the title and it's breast milk, not chest milk, you know, all that stuff. But anyway, so I love being a mom. And here's women being deceived. And it's like we're living in an upside down world and what's right is wrong and wrong is right. And it was heavy on my heart. We have got where the spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty. There's fullness of joy. You can't separate that from government. We, ha we need liberty and fullness of joy. Faith, not fear. And so um, it's, been, it's just been the joy of my life to be in this endeavor and to go where God calls us to do and do what he calls us to do when he calls us to do it. So thank you for the opportunity to share a Thanks little bit. Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I take it back. Yes, thank you. She didn't say this, but she's also served three terms in the house, so she's not... She's not someone that has not served and not been in Santa Fe. She has fought for three straight terms um, in Santa Fe for us. And I've talked to one of the leaders in Santa Fe about her and because uh, I made phone calls and I talked to people. And uh, I know one of the main leaders in Santa Fe. And uh, he's, he told me he's from Farmington. He told me, he said, Rebecca is, 
is the one we need. She said, he said, she has stood and fought and spoken up and, and fought for the Christian values and for the spiritual life of our state. And so, Rebecca, I support you 100%. And count on my vote in June in the primary. Hopefully she can count on other votes as well. So I think it'd be amazing to have a Christian in the it would be amazing to have a spirit-filled Christian in the roundhouse. It would be something else. You know, we dedicated, we did the adult dedication, we did the youth dedication months ago, the 180 on this last Friday, and the mayor pro tem who happens to be a pastor in Artesia, Pastor Perry, he's operating as the temporary mayor, he did the dedication and read the, the, uh, the, the dedication and, and uh, the, you know, dedicating the day to 180 day and the renewal of 180, and it was incredible to have a Christian doing that. He's talking about Jesus and about changed lives. I mean, it's just incredible to have people. That's why the Bible says, and I say this all the time, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. We need some rejoicing in our state. We need that spirit of oppression lifted off of us and lifted off our children and our children's children. Man, this election could be generational. And all of you who know that when you leave, you feel something. When you come back, you feel something across our border, across our, our, our state line. And that's, you can feel the spirit of oppression here. You can feel it. It's tangible. People who aren't even Christians know it exists. That spirit needs to go. It's only going to go when we put Christians in office. And, and let me say this. Aaron, her husband, and Rebecca, they are not perfect and don't pretend to be just like none of the rest of us do. Amen? But they love Jesus. They love Jesus. And I want a lover of Jesus up there. It'd be great to have that. Uh, anyway, go with me to Matthew chapter 20. We've been talking about being the church and our core values. And so for those who are new with us, man, you're going to get a a uh, good look at our church, if you, and you have over the last several weeks. Those online are getting a great look at our church. Glad to have you as well. Um, and so we talked about love God, people, love God and people, and nothing else. You know, we throw around that word love so much. We love Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. We love, you know, I love Cocoa Krispies. Coke, I don't love it, but that's what people will say. And I really like Cocoa Krispies, though. If you want to know. Um, I like drinking that chocolate milk after, they're, after I eat them all. It's really good. And so, uh, but, you know, we say we love this and we love that. And a lot of times we don't say it, but we act like we love things above God and above people. We know the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love others as you love yourself. And so that's the, that's the foundation of our church, is to accomplish those two things. Because God said that fulfills all the law and all the prophets if you'll do those two things. And our, our relationship with God is not birthed out of some religious uh, duty, just some religious duty that we got to do this and we have to do that and I have to do this. No, it's birthed out of love. And I always compare it, for the, uh, that love, from the, the love for my wife. I compare it to that because, you know, I do things for my wife and I listen to her because I love her, not because I have to. And she listens to me and does things for me because she loves me, not because she has to. We don't have to do any of it. But it's out of a loving relationship that we do these things. It's the same way 
with God. We do it out of love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And if you don't obey me, then he said, you're a liar. You don't really love me. And so our, our whole relationship, our whole church is birthed out of this love for God and love for people. And then the second core value we talked about was the truth prevails, that the Bible is the word of God. And it's, it's not just a truth, it's the absolute truth. And that without this being true, then and, you know, we've had pastors now saying publicly that, oh man, we don't need the Old Testament, we don't need the Bible, uh, you know, all we need is Jesus. And that, that's a twisted form of truth. We do need Jesus, but Jesus is the word made manifest. He is this word. You can't separate him from it. And people, pastors right now, famous pastors, are trying to separate Jesus from the Bible because some of the things in the Bible are not politically correct in our current culture. To talk about homosexuality the way I did last week, uh, you know, the Romans 1 says they're given over to a reprobate mind. They, they're, deluded, they're deluded. They're deceived at a very high level to operate like that. And so when I spoke on that, when it comes to the magistrate judge job, man, I got a note from somebody saying, how dare you say you wouldn't vote for someone because of their sexuality? Well, when their sexuality is what defines them, and that's who they say they are, and they walk in a, a true a lie that God says is a lie. I don't, I'm not the one defining it. Only a holy, loving God can define truth, not a flawed person. So when God says this is true and this is a lie, how could I ever vote for someone in that is living an outright lie? No one's perfect, as we said, but there's a difference between that and living a lie. And so without the Bible, we have no absolute truth. We have no moral code. We have no line. We have no line in the sand. So that's why that's the second core value. Then the third core value is family matters. The, the body of Christ is only going to be as strong as each individual family is strong, as each individual marriage is strong. That's where God started from the very beginning. We started in Genesis, man, and we talked about God created us and created Adam and Eve to establish his dominion on the earth. And that's the purpose of marriage and the purpose of family. All the rest of the things, love and peace and joy and laughter, all those things that should be in a Christian home, all that follows living on purpose for God. And we talked about that for several Sundays. And then today I'm going to talk about save people, serve people. That's become a very common theme in a lot of churches around the country. And they say it just like that, save people, serve people. <clears throat> I can't think of a better way to say it because it lines right up with Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 28, because Jesus said it, for he said, for even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. Jesus came to serve. He's our example of of servant leadership. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, yet as a king, he's a servant. As, a, as the high priest, the great high priest of the body of Christ, he is a servant. He didn't believe that his position of title, his position of power, his position of influence, his position of, of all of the things that you can possibly have in leadership, being a part of the Godhead of the, of the whole universe. He didn't believe that, that, that his title and his position would create an environment where he did not serve, but everybody just served him. Everything Jesus did was in service to us. He served God and us. 
He became poor that we might become rich. What does that mean? That he didn't have any money? No, it means that he stepped out of heaven to come to earth to serve us. And he's our example. And that's why I believe if you're saved, if you truly have a loving relationship with God, how can you not serve? How can you not serve? I don't know how you can't. I mean, guys, I was still messed up after I got saved. My mind wasn't renewed with the word of God. I still had all kinds of habits. But man, I already had a heart to serve immediately. I wanted to do something to help people come to know Jesus. I didn't do it right. I, I messed it up a lot. But at least I had, a, I had the heart of compassion that, that Jesus gives every Christian to want to serve. I don't know how you can say you're a Christian and not be a servant. I think it's really impossible. That's why Jesus in the last days says to so many people, they said, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name and that in your name. He said, I never knew you. And the things that they said they did in his name were very deeply spiritual things, but they did them for all the wrong motive, all the wrong reasons and the wrong motives. They didn't really do it out of love for God. They did it for themselves. And that's not how God wants us to serve. He wants us to serve others. For his honor and his glory. Go with me. We're going to read that. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. He says it himself so much better than I can say it. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read verses 10 and 11. It says this. For every believer. Everybody say every believer. Every believer has received grace gifts. So no one can say, I, I don't have anything to offer. God, he considers each one of us unique. Rebecca said, uh, Governor Dow said, we'll just go ahead and speak it in Jesus' name. She said she saw the sunrise. You know, you know, I talk about our sunrises, our sunsets all the time. I've traveled many places around the world. I, I've seen sunsets and sunrises on the ocean. That has a whole unique thing to it. But, man, there's nothing more beautiful than our sunrises and sunsets in New Mexico. I don't think there's anything more beautiful than that. Some of you agree. That's okay. I thank you for that. Uh, but, you know, we look at the beauty that God has created. But can I tell you the most beautiful thing he created? was not the sunset and sunrises, you and me. Governor Dow said, we're his workmanship. The Bible says we're his masterpiece. The stars aren't his masterpiece. The universe isn't his masterpiece. The Rocky Mountains, as beautiful as they are, aren't his masterpiece. The oceans aren't his masterpiece. The northern lights aren't his masterpiece. The sun's not his masterpiece. The moon is not his masterpiece. You and I are his masterpiece. We are, but we don't see ourselves like that. But he wants us to. He wants us to understand how much he loves us, that we're his masterpiece, and each one is unique, and you, you're uniquely qualified. God has blessed you and gifted you to serve, to serve. And he said, so use them to serve one another. Use these, these gifts that you've received. Grace gifts. Grace means you, you didn't deserve them, but he gave them anyway. Guess what? God says he that never repents, he never takes back the gifts, talents, and callings on people's lives. He'll never, he'll never take it back. He has no regret. He has no regret. 
He wants you to serve with no regret. When we were babies, and I, I was watching my granddaughter the other day, and, <laughs> you know, with little kids, everything they do, you clap and cheer, right? You know, they, they get the spoon in their mouth, right? Yay! You know, they walk for the first time. Yeah, oh, yay! You know, any little thing they do, you, well, she's caught on to it like most little kids. And she, she'll do something and she'll go, clap for herself. Well, after a while, you know, you get used to them doing that stuff, and so you don't clap and cheer as much, and they get really disappointed. Because they'll do something that you clapped and cheered for, and now it's old hat. You know, you've seen it a hundred times, and they'll stand up or do something, and they'll go looking around for all the applause, and no one's paying them any attention. <laughs> They're just like, what happened? I thought I was going to get applause, and yay, and you did it. And if you're a grandparent, you know you applaud everything. And so, you know, then they get real disappointed. It's like, oh, I don't get, I'm not getting all this encouragement and all this applause. And Guys, that's how some people come to church. I mean, if you're not applauded and celebrated every second, it's like you get disappointed. Guys, the reason God lives with no regret is because he's not looking for our applause. He does it because love compels him to do it without regret. And he doesn't need the applause. We offer him that. We offer him praise and worship, but he doesn't need it. He's secure in who he is and why he does things. We need to become secure in who we are and why we do things. And live without, serve without regret and, and without looking for the applause of men. God says, when you look for the applause of men, he said, that will be your reward. But if you look to me for your rewards, oh. I don't know if you think a person can give you a greater pat on the back than God can. I, I'm telling you, you're fooling yourself if you think that's true. If you think a person can give you a greater reward than God can, when you do things unto the Lord and you serve as unto the Lord, you don't need the applause. You don't need to be applauded every time some of you turn around. Yay, you showed up to do this. Oh, thank you for serving in the nurseries. You know, those things are good and we need to thank each other, but you shouldn't need it. We give it because that's who we are and we want to be grateful and thankful to people who serve us. But man, we shouldn't need it because we should be looking to God to get it. I remember the many times that some of the people who've hurt Julie and I the most, spoken the most about us in this community and, and hurt the church the most are some of the people we have helped by far the most. And uh, I I remember one, uh, this happened time and time again, and I was talking to God. I'm like, God, man, they're so ungrateful. And, man, you can never do enough for them. You know, you do this, this, and this, and then you finally tell them no, and they just turn on you. And you know what he said to me? He said, that sounds familiar. I'd say things like, God, man, if you don't celebrate them every second and tell them how great they are, they, they get all hurt and they want to leave the church and, man, you don't appreciate me. And, and I'm, I'm complaining and God's like, yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> you know, you know the old saying, when you point one finger at somebody, you're pointing, you know, three back at you. You know, that's exactly how he dealt with me and said, that's how you treat me. 
He said, but Troy, I have no regret in serving you. I have no regret in blessing you. No matter how you treat it, I have no regret. He said, if you'd begin to live like that, I would begin to reward you. Instead of looking for the reward or approval or appreciation of man, if you'd look for my approval and my rewards and my appreciation, man, it'll set you free from needing that from people and set you free from any insecurities in your life that you need the approval of people. And then you'll get my blessings. You'll get my applause. And you'll store up real treasures in heaven. God said, I don't answer prayers for two reasons. Because you don't ask or you ask with the wrong mode. A lot of times, our, God, when we're praying about anything, God's listening to our words. But more than that, he's looking in our hearts. What's your motive? What's your heart behind that? And guess what? When you give and you serve, he's looking for your motive behind that too. Is it about you or is it about God and the people you're serving? And that takes maturity. Little kids have to grow up and realize, we're not going to apply you every time you go potty. You know, Julie and I used to throw Fruit Loops in the toilet, and we tried everything to get the boys to stand up, stand up and not miss everything, you know, spray the whole bathroom down. I finally just took them outside and taught them to pee on the back fence. They learned to stand up and do it right. I'm just talking about real stuff, right? That, that only backfired on me uh, twice. The first time was in Lubbock, and they, they, we moved to a new house, and I don't know if they were confused what the back porch was and the front porch, but they were both had their pants around their ankles peeing off the front porch. And the people in Lubbock thought the Beverly Hillbillies had moved in. <laughs> and then my next-door neighbor had a daughter that ran around with my boys, and he came over, and he's kind of chuckling, but he's, he's like, man, my, my, my wife is madder than a hornet. I, why? Well, he's mad at you. I said, mad at me? Why is she mad at me? What did I do? He said, well, your boys taught my daughter how to pee on the fence. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'll tell him to stop doing that. She had gone back in the back, and they were all three peeing on the back fence. <laughs> That backfired on me those two times right there. I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> talking about serving. Talking about honoring God. I like this part where he says, serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. He's saying, listen... You know, a tapestry has different shapes and colors, and it's all mixed together, and it creates something really beautiful. And that's what God's saying I'm creating with you. You're all different shapes and colors, and you have different gifts, and I'm creating this tapestry. And what is it a picture of? He says, God's grace. It's a picture of God's grace. I said it's a picture of God's grace. Somewhere along the line, I remember what I was talking about. Somewhere along the line, we got to mature beyond needing applause and approval about everything we do for our families and others and just trust God that we're doing it for him. He'll reward us. He'll repay us. It'll take a lot of pressure off other people, and it'll, it'll remove a lot of insecurities in your life when you start doing it for the right reasons. It'll open up doors of blessings too. Oh, I can testify. But God wants us to be a demonstration of his grace. He wants to put us on display. I asked in first service, 
How many of you have ever been to New York? Raise your hand. A bunch of you have been to New York. Uh, how many of you have ever been to Fifth Avenue? Oh, yeah. Then you know what I'm talking about. For those of you not, you can Google it. You can look at it. But in Manhattan on Fifth Avenue, they have Prada and Gucci and Rolex. They have all those the f- most famous stores. And the outside of the stores are beautiful, and the displays are beautiful. They're attractive. I know that God has taught me how to be a patient shopper because my wife likes to shop, and I hate. I, she was a 10, and I was a zero. I was a negative five on shopping. I was so, I was so negative, but I couldn't stand shopping. Um, and so uh, God taught me to be patient and to actually pray about it and help her shop. Uh, it benefited both of us. She found what she wanted, and I got out of there quicker. So I was going to serve my wife by listening to the Holy Spirit. And so I window shop. And so I didn't used to. I used to just walk right by. But I window shop now, and I'll think, I'll see an outfit that looks really sharp. and say, Julie, you like that? And I, have, I would have said, hey, let's go in this store. But a lot of times she said, no, I don't want to go to that store. I'm going to a particular store. But we'll see something, and she'll go, oh. That's pretty sharp. So let's go in here. And so we, I window shop, and when you're window shopping in New York and Fifth Avenue, man, their displays are spectacular. I mean, you're talking about clothes that cost two, three thousand dollars a jacket, five thousand dollars for a suit, uh, ten thousand, twenty to a hundred thousand dollars for a Rolex watch or more. And so their displays are beautiful and very attractive, and they draw you in. And God is saying, I want to create in the church something so beautiful and attractive that it draws people in. And they see my grace. They see the beauty of my grace, of my unmerited favor, that I gave you a gift of forgiveness. I gave you the gift of eternal life. I gave you the gift of my love, and I did it without regret. And you didn't earn it. You can't earn it. Matter of fact, you deserve the exact opposite, but I gave it anyway. And he wants us to be a tapestry, a beautiful example of that grace by how we serve one another because that's how we serve him. That's how we serve him. You know, I was talking to a man Friday and we're talking about ministry and, you know, if it's worth it and just different things. And I started telling stories about people in our church. I said, I'll tell you why it's worth it. I said, you see this lady right here walking by carrying that? And she was serving. I said, man, she used to be a meth addict and live on the street. She lost her kids, she lost her dignity. She lost everything. Living on the street, meth addict, right here in Roswell. And now she's serving Jesus. She has a great job. Her husband and her are restored. Her kids are back in her home. God's forgiven her and removed the shame of that. And now she helps to testify about the good. She's on display. On the, about the grace of God. And she serves. She served her way into a job at the church. I, I know of another young lady who, who's married now and has a great marriage. And, and uh, man, she came. She was the first one to come to 180. She came to our youth church. She got saved. And she was growing up in a home with a lot of alcoholism and a lot of abuse. Lots of physical abuse. And she came and got saved and began to serve Wow, what God has done in her life. Now her mama and sisters are all saved and serving. 
Oh, it's changed her whole life. I talked about, I've talked about Pastor Brett many times. Pastor Brett was a drug addict for how many years, Pastor Brett? 24 years. He came to church one day. One day. He got saved on a, was it a, it was a Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, uh, how, how long ago, Pastor Brett? About a year after I was here, Pastor Brett showed up. And he got saved, and he left here and was never, never touched another drug again. 19 years. Now he leads our, him and Miss Sherry, the, his wife, they lead our Monday night re, uh, uh, Celebrate Recovery. Uh, it's not Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Freedom. We don't recover, we get free. Amen? For the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. exactly what Governor Dow said. Our current governor's not going to like me saying that. God bless her heart. She probably doesn't like most of what I say. I'm prophesying. But that's, that's the grace. That's the grace. That's the tapestry of grace of all of us here. We brought all our junk to God, and he poured his grace on it, and now he wants to make it a tapestry of grace, a beautiful example of grace. How? How? By how we serve each other. That's what he wants to see. He said, they will know you by how you love one another. When you love, you serve. That's how they know the church. God wants to put us on display. And just like whether you put, you put Hilton, man, when I see a Hilton or a certain name brand, I have an expectation. When I go in those stores, well, I, did, I never went in, uh, I went in one of them. But uh, when I see those stores in, in, on, on Fifth Avenue, um, it, I, if I was to go in, I would be, have an expectation of high-level service, that it would be beautiful inside, it would be clean, it would be excellent. Well, when God puts his name on you, what do you do? Your name's on him. You call yourself a Christian, then you're on display. You expect uh, Prada and, and Gucci and Rolex and Hilton, the Waldorf Astoria. You expect those places that we hear about. We expect there to be excellence and beauty and, and excellent service. Right? That's what God expects from us. A spirit of excellence in how we serve. And it all starts in the home. Let me say it again. It all starts in the family. He says this, for example, if you have a speaking gift, speak as though God were speaking his words through you. If you have the gift of serving, do it passionately with the strength God gives. Not under your own strength, but under God's strength. You do it under your own strength, you'll fall apart. You won't be able to carry it out. You gotta trust God. You gotta rely on him so that in everything God alone will be glorified through Christ, through Jesus Christ. For to him belong the power and the glory forever throughout all ages, amen for his glory, for the kingdom. Let me say it again, for the kingdom. For the kingdom we serve, for the kingdom we give, for the kingdom we live. For the kingdom. Last verse, Luke 10, and we're just about done. Gotta show you this before we get out of here. Luke chapter 10, Jesus is having a conversation with a lawyer. The religious people consistently lawyered, lawyered up. They went and got a lawyer. Hey, we're going to go get a lawyer. We tried talking to the guy. We couldn't get anywhere with him. Let's go get a lawyer. So they went and got a lawyer. 
says, just then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. He posed this question, teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? Jesus replied, what does Moses teach us? What do you read in the law? Jesus usually responded to a question with a question, then a story. He does both here. The religious scholar answered, it states, you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and every thought. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said, that is correct. Ding, 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 ding. You got it right. Now go and do exactly that, and you will live. Go and do it. Wanting to justify himself, this was all about him. He's wanting to justify how he's living because he's not doing it. He's not doing either one of those things, even though he knows the answer. So many people have all the right Christianese, all the right terminology, but they stand for nothing and do nothing. People have come locally and said, hey, man, I'd like to serve as this thing and that thing. And I'm like, man, I, I, you say you're pro-life. I haven't ever seen you at a pro-life rally. You say you're this. I've never seen you. What have you done? You say you want to serve the community. I've never seen you clean a yard. I've never seen. What are you doing? How are you serving? Most of them don't have an answer. They want to be served at this, with this title and this position. I love people that are already serving. They're already proven. This guy wants to justify his life and justify how religious he is. Jesus replied, listen, and I will tell you, there was once a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him half dead. Listen, church, there's so much more to this story than what you might think. Jerusalem... And Jericho are anywhere from, I've read anywhere from 17 to 25 miles apart, but it's 3,900 feet drop from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's downhill. I don't know if you remember who, what Jericho is. Jericho was the first place the children of Israel went to, the walls of Jericho. And, they, and God told them, kill everybody. Everything and everybody, don't take a thing. Everything in this place is cursed. Don't touch. He said, matter of fact, he added a curse. He said, and because it's so cursed, if you try to re whoever tries to rebuild the city will be cursed. So he's walking from Jerusalem, which represents the presence of God and the goodness and blessings of God. He's walking downhill because sin is easy. I've, I've hiked the Grand Canyon twice, three hours going down, eight to 12 hours going out. It's much easier to walk down it than to walk out of it. <coughs> so sin is downhill. It, Satan makes it easy to walk in sin. So he's walking downhill 3,900 feet, and he's walking away from the presence and blessings of God. He's going to the place called Jericho, who represents Satan's kingdom in the world in curses. No wonder he was beaten, robbed, and stripped. When you walk away from God, you're going to start, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's exactly what happened to him on the road. And his purpose maybe was beaten out of him. And he was robbed of his dignity. And he was ashamed and dying. Some of you might be in that same spot right now. Maybe you're married and you're on the internet and you're flirting. You're on that downhill walk away from the things of God. It's real easy. But you're walking into a curse. Maybe you're, you've already walked that journey and you're, you're beaten, robbed, and you're down and out right now. 
That's why you're listening today. You're looking for someone to help you. You're in the right place. There's someone here that wants to help you. His name is Jesus. Someone here that loves you. And that's the people of this church. It takes 222 people to pull off these services on Sunday. Costs us about $14,000 a service. Someone has served, someone's given in order for you to be here to get your life right. Someone's been who Jesus expects us to be here. Just someone who's walking the wrong direction. Maybe you've never even known the goodness and presence of God, but you want to. You're in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, maybe for the first time in your life. says, soon a Jewish priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man, seeing him from a distance. The priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. Later, a religious man, a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed. Likewise meaning just like him, saw him but didn't see him. Saw him but didn't see him. What do you mean? Well, it's a matter of perspective. When I was, I was single till I was 28 and didn't have my first child till I was 30. I was waiting for Julie to graduate high school, <laughs> junior high, <laughs> so I wouldn't get in trouble. But God was waiting on that. But, um, man, I used to be really critical of my brothers and sisters and other people that had children. Man, they, they'd, <laughs> they'd act up, and I'd be like, man, you need to learn to parent. You need to spank that kid. Man, why are they crying in a restaurant? Don't they know better? And don't you know better? What's the, man, I'd see them walk out of Walmart, hair frazzled, come here, you know, looking like a crazy person. And I'm like, oh, little do they know about parenting until I became a parent. And I was the one storming out Walmart. My, my, My wife's like, Take him out of here. Spank him. Trying to hide from the cameras. You guys know what I'm talking about. Don't want to show up on YouTube. Pastor Spank's child. Looks crazy. Doing it. Well, parent. Guess what? The closer and more experience I had as a parent... That my perspective changed. I stopped judging people. Now I'm like, it's all cool with me, dude. I've seen it. <laughs> Listen, I understand. I have more compassion. I see through different eyes. I have a different perspective. And the closer you get to Jesus and the more you know him, you'll have a different perspective. You won't see as they saw. What they saw was a mess. What they saw was maybe someone who deserved it. What's funny is they're walking the same direction. The pastor and the person that serves in the church, they're on the same road. And because they have that same perspective, they don't see need. They don't don't have a desire to serve because even though they look like they know God, they don't know God. Because if you know God, if you're truly saved and value what he did for you, how can you not serve? It's impossible. It's impossible to me. How could I owe? How can I not serve? 
saved people, people that really know Jesus, they can't help it. They'll say more yeses than noes. They'll serve not just in the church publicly, but they'll serve in their home privately. So you got two religious people, the most qualified here to serve that don't serve. Then later, it says, finally another man, a Samaritan, came upon, upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil in his wounds, disinfecting them with wine and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. That oil represents the power of the Holy Spirit that helps you serve. The wine represents the blood of Jesus that brings healing and and brings binding. Jesus binds wounds. He turns wounds into scars and heals them. So he helped him spiritually. We always need to be ready to help spiritually. We can always pray till God feels us and hears us. Isaiah says, pray until he moves. Pray until he, you, you, it almost implies, forces him to move. Pray like that. There's a spiritual component. Then he says, lifting him up, he placed him on his donkey and brought him to an inn. Then he took him from his donkey and carried him to a room for the night. The next morning he took his own money. Whose money? (laughs) His own money. His own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words, take care of him till I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay you when, when I return, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. I don't care if it costs $20,000 to put on a Sunday service. Whatever the cost is, we're going to do it. Whatever the physical and financial cost, it's going to cost you physically and financially to serve God. It's going to cost you both. And if you don't think so, then man, I check your compassion. Someone paid, someone paid a pastor. Someone paid a nursery worker. Someone paid for you to sit in that chair. Someone paid for the AC in this building. It cost them financially and it's costing them physically because someone's greeting you at the door. Someone's ushering you. Someone cleaned this building. Someone pays me. It's going to be messy. He had to pick up a bloody, messed up, dirty guy laying on a road, dying. He had to pick him up and carry him. You're going to get messy. You get involved in people's lives, it's going to be messy. And it's going to cost you. But listen to what he said. Whatever it costs. Whatever it costs. That's the heart of a Christian. Whatever it costs to reach that hurting person. Because no one, they spared no expense reaching me. They did everything they knew to do at the time. They spared no expense to reach me. Whatever it costs physically or financially. So now tell me, which one of the three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor? The religious scholar responded, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. Jesus said, you must go and do the same as he. Last thing I want to leave you with. He had to be, he had to be spiritual. He had to do something spiritual. Introduce him to, to the power of the Holy Spirit to change a life into the love and mercy of the blood of Jesus, what it's done for us. Then he had to physically and financially act. Then he had, to, he had to do all that wrapped in this love, kindness and mercy, the love of God. It's what God's called us to do. It's what he's called you to do. I have a thought for you. Jump in. Jump in and serve. Don't wait. God, 
will qualify you. You say, well, I'm not qualified. Oh, God will qualify. If you're available, he'll qualify you. I said, if you're available, he'll qualify you. Julie and I are a living testimony. <laughs> Rebecca's clapping because she knows that's true about her. Julie and I are living. I don't have a theology. I have degrees, but not in theology. Not, none in theology. Most denominations would not let me be the youth pastor, the children's, anything, because they don't qualify. Most of the churches in town would never let me preach or serve in any kind of spiritual leadership position as a full-time minister because I don't qualify in their eyes. Peter and John were said in Acts chapter 4, they said the, the educated people and the religious people that were qualified said, these men are unlearned and they're uneducated and unlearned and those words, one of them means that they have no formal education. The other one is from the Greek word idios, idios which means idiot. He said, these guys are idiots. But they've been, this is what they said, but they've been hanging around this Jesus and look at them now. I was an idiot before I knew Jesus. You might not admit to it, but you were too. But look at us now. Because we've been hanging around with Jesus. He changes everything. He changes everything. Listen, every eye closed here and online. Just take a moment. Remove all the distractions and just close your eyes and consider your life. I never take anything for granted. I know people that, that went to church for 30 years and realized one day, I know a man realized, he said, I wasn't even saved, but I served. I was religious, but I never was really saved. I did all that because that's what my family did. It was culturally respected. You know, I got a lot of applause. And one day he walked an aisle, freaked his pastor out. I don't take for granted how long you've been going to church. If you don't have this compassion, you don't have this perspective, if you don't have a desire to serve your family and to serve others, I, listen, Save people, serve people. When, when you take on the Savior, when Jesus is the Lord of your life, you take on his attitude, which is I don't come to be served at church. I come to serve. I don't go home to be served. I go to serve. And if I get served, then praise God. But my first response, but it takes a lot of maturity to get to that place. It takes some growth. I didn't start there for sure. I didn't even start pastoring with that attitude. A lot, of, a lot of insecurities come along with public speaking and pastoring and every job and place you're at that I'm at. You hang out with Jesus long enough, he'll, he'll remove those insecurities from you. and He'll clean your heart up, your motives. So for those of you who already know Jesus and claim to know him, open up your eyes. Open up your heart. Draw closer to him and let him show you, give you the right perspective. There's people hurting in your own home and you might not see it. Too busy trying to get somebody else's applause. There's people hurting all around you, in your church, in your job. God wants you to see it. He wants you to see it. The only way you can is if you grow closer to Him. Experience more of Him.
For those of you who don't know him, you've never prayed and accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life. And you, I said you're in the right place at the right time. You're here. You're looking for what I was looking for. I was looking for answers. Didn't think I'd find it in the church, but I did. Because all I'd seen is religious, church stuff, and churchy stuff. and I'd never really seen Jesus. The church I went to wasn't perfect by any means, but they told me about the love of Jesus, how much Jesus loved me. He didn't come to condemn me. He came to save and rescue me. Jesus came to rescue you and save your life. From what? From living in the curse on this planet and passing those along to others around you and going to hell forever. It's that simple. He came to forgive you of your sins and give you a life worth living and giving away, helping you overcome obstacles and trouble in this life and make a difference. Winston Churchill said, you make, a, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. He wants to teach you how to give your life away so you can really have a life. A life worth having and worth giving away. He wants to save you from hell and give you a place called heaven forever. He wants to remove the domination of sin in your life where it doesn't dominate you anymore. You still, you still sin, but you're not a sinner. You're not dominated by sin. Controlled by it. You have hope, faith, and love. If you've never prayed, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've prayed and you're on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. You came here today or live watching today because you know you need to get things right. Turn around. Turn around. Walk back to the presence and blessings of God. Turn around. Turn around today. Turn around. God's warned some of you. It's a warning. This was a warning to some of you. Turn around. Turn around before you're robbed, beaten, and left for dead. Turn around. And if you've been robbed, beaten, and left for dead, oh, man, God's here to bind your wounds. He's here to bandage you up. He's here to heal you, help you, love you. He'll pay whatever price. He paid the ultimate price to save your life and to restore your life back to you. So whether it's your first time or your next time, you need to pray and get right with God before you leave here this morning. Whether if you're online, send us a message now. Right now, I'm praying for the first time. I'm praying for the next time. Right now. Send a message right now to us. In this room, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up and say, I'm going to get right with God today. I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to get my relationship right with God. Just lift your hand up on the count of three and then put it down quickly. Then right where you're seated, we're going to pray. Right where you're at online, we're going to pray. Whether it's on, you're watching this live on Sunday, you're watching this, this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that prayer, will be, don't let the devil talk you out of it. You want, you want to pray? Pray right now. It's just as good on those other days watching a recording as it is live today. So send us a message online in this room. One, two, three. Just put your hand up and say, I'm going to get right with God before I leave it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. All over this room. Wow. Oh, wow. Thank you, thank you. All over this room. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Wow. So many. Thank you. Thank you. So many. Wow. Let's pray. Those who raised your hand and those who didn't, 
all of us. Let's pray with them. Let's encourage them. Say this. Say, God, I believe you are God and God alone. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins and that you raised him from the dead. You did all of that because you love me and wanted to rescue me from the power of sin to dominate my life in this life. In the power of sin to sentence me to death in the next. Thank you for coming to my rescue. And because I believe that, I ask you, God, in the name of Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins and to help me to forgive those that have hurt me. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lord of my life. I submit my life to you. Teach me now by your spirit in your word how to serve you and serve others and live a life worth having and giving away. Thank you. In Jesus' name. So be it. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate the goodness of God. He's so good. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.